This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. Amen. God bless everybody this morning. Um, I found a new trick. Well, I didn't find this trick. Um, Actually, Sarah showed it to me. Um, If you ever need help, Sarah, raise your hand. If you ever need some um, Bible study techniques, she's really good. But I've got my little taps going on in there. (laughs) Very helpful. Um, Some people, you, you know the old Bibles that had the tabs? You know, some of you probably still have one of those Bibles, I'm sure. Okay. Yes. What would you say? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is that, that she says you can put them on. You know, she showed me how to make my own tabs, and that way my Bible is custom. <laughs> custom tabs. <laughs> They're not as pretty as the other ones. They don't have any gold on them, but they are yellow. Let's see? All right, 2 Kings 5, um, 1 through 14. You know what? Before we go into that scripture, because I'm going to be reading from that scripture, uh, let's go to, um, do you guys mind on the PowerPoint? Uh, Let's go to uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. can think of it um, when you get a chance. Um, Keep Hillary in your prayers. she uh, lost her best friend, uh, I believe, 40 years, and just like that, right? Um, he's obviously in heaven, and he's rejoicing, um, but we, we're going to miss him, and uh, she's going to miss him most, right? Um, so if you can, if you can do anything to help her out, bless her, support her, reinforce um, the ground underneath, underneath her, um, make an opportunity, find an opportunity, go give her a hug, go pray for her, um, help her out, whatever you can do. Amen. All right, so First Peter 5, verse 6. We'll get in the context of this scripture in a little bit. Um, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You know, I'm going to read the following scripture. I don't know if you have it, but I, yeah, I'm just going to read it. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Amen. All right. Father, we just released the word today. Let your written word become your living word into our hearts. Open our hearts, open our spirits, open our minds to receive the implanted word of God. I just pray you would supernaturally till the soil of our heart, get that rockiness out of there. And I pray you make it soft, moldable, pliable, where you can, the implanted word of God can settle in And we just pray you water it today in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start today with, uh, even though I I know we just got in the Word, I'm going to start today with 2 Kings, um, 
verse uh, 5, uh, 1 through 4. I used my tabs. I just lost my tab. There he goes. Oh, there's my tab. It's in the wrong spot. I guess, I guess my technique isn't quite what I thought it was. Customize. <laughs> All right, verse uh, 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, Syria was not the people of God at the time, okay? But the Lord used Naaman. The Lord used a pagan who worshipped other gods to bring victory to Syria. And the Bible calls him a great man. The Hebrew there is Ish Gadol. Say that with me. Say Ish Gadol. Okay. The word Ish is the word for man. What? Men say Ish. Okay. Women say Isha. Okay. Isha is women. Ish is men. Okay. I could tell the difference in the voice, the voice range. Just to let you know, there, there is no Hebrew word for, for trans. Um, I'm so sorry you have to translate that, Bruno. Um, and I'm just, letting, I'm just saying that. There's just, that is, it's important to know the Bible is, is very good with definitions. And definitions govern our hearts. I don't know if you know that. It's not legalism to identify definitions. It's not wrong for definitions to be created. Without definitions, without principles, without values to govern our lives, we are tossed about with every thought and emotion and change. And the Bible helps us identify these things so that we have a place to place our hearts, to align our hearts, to align our values. So Ish Gadol, he was a mighty man, and yet he had leprosy. Now, I've known a lot of great men, I've known a lot of great women, and you would be surprised to find out that a lot of great men and a lot of great women, every day they go out to battle and they win victories for the Lord. And you may be surprised to uncover that underneath everything, they have leprosy. They have issues. They have struggles. They have depression. They have anxiety. They have sin. They have these things. Now, it doesn't make it right. It just makes it reality. Okay? God still calls him a great man in spite of the fact that he had an issue. And every day he went out to battle and he just covered that thing up. Every day he went out to battle and he just worked hard and says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to fight. And he won in spite of his leprosy. In spite of his leprosy. 
Now, I'm going to say this too. The Bible uses the term great man, but I'm going to say this because I, I, I think we need to understand this about who we are as a Christians. Romans 3 says that no one is good, not one. No one is good. You're a good person. No, you aren't. You're not a good person. I'm sorry. We, you know what? I'm going to take the pressure off you, okay? You are not a good person. I mean, I'm going to just even say it like this, okay? Let me give you an illustration. If at any point somebody cuts you off driving and in, the, in your heart of hearts you hoped they would get an accident, you are not a good person. And only God knows the depth of your retaliatory heart, okay? You don't know how bad you can be. None of us do. We trust. We trust that God upholds us and takes care of us and leads us not into temptation. So if the Bible says we are not a good person, I'm going to tell you what, we are not great people either. So what are we then? We're not good people. We're not great people. We're graced people, right? God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gives us the desire and the ability. It is not within us. That's why it does you no good to hold your little badges of, I fasted this many days, and I prayed this many hours, and I made this happen for the church, and I gave this amount of money. You may not know this, but God helped you do that. <clears throat> Naaman was used every day, but he had leprosy. Now the, Syrians, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Nobody talks about the servant girl. Do you know what happened to the servant girl? Her village was raided, okay? She was of the people of God, and it's very likely her family was murdered and killed, and she was taken as a slave. Now, a lot of people say there was, there's no grace in the Old Testament. God didn't, there's no teaching of, of you know, of uh, loving your enemies and all that stuff. That's not true. If you read the scriptures, the Old Testament, it's full of that kind of language. God didn't change. And this young girl, this servant girl, in spite of the fact that she is a slave to a man who is likely in charge of that raid, and underneath his care, she says, I want to give to you something that you took from me. I want to show you life. There is a juxtaposition here, though, because later on in the following verses, we see the king who Naaman reaches out to, and he says to the king, he sends him goods and merchandise, and he sends him some good merch. 
He sends them some stuff to, to say, hey, help me. I need to get cured of leprosy. I know your God might be able to do, or I think your God might be able to do this. And the king threw his arms out, freaked out, right? Who am I to, to, to heal this guy? I can't do this. He threw his arms up in the, and yet the little servant girl who has no power, no authority, nothing to gain, nothing to finagle or work, she has confidence that if he simply met the prophet who was a representative of God, he would be healed. The Bible, by the way, there's a couple juxtapositions. There's a couple opposites. Um, trying to help Bruno here. Okay. There's a couple opposites here where you see Gehazi and the prophet Elisha in this scripture. We'll get to that in a minute. But you also see the servant girl and you see the king. And the Bible's trying to reveal something here. It's trying to show us something. It's trying to tell us a story. And in the middle of all this is this man named Naaman who has a choice to either accept or reject what God wants to do in him. And he's the variable. He's the variable. And you're, you and I are, are in a variable state where we can choose to say yes to what God has for us or in pride we can reject it and go our own way. So Naaman here, we see Naaman, he's trying to establish his willingness and his ability to pay for what God can do. He's showing off his wealth, his strength. He's establishing the fact that he's worth the healing, okay? Because this is the way of hedonism. This is the way of hedonism. Other gods are transactional. Other gods are transactional. You do this for me, I do this for you. It's no wonder that the problem, whoa, it's raining pretty good out there, isn't it? Woo! I've got some concrete topping mix in the back of my truck, and it is about to, it's all good. It'll just give me some weight or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So with this, God is showing us. He's showing us the nature of us and how we assume that by giving more, by sacrificing more, because the gods are never happy. The gods are never happy. How do we fix this issue? When things go bad, what do we do? We offer more sacrifices, don't we? When things get good, they must be going good for a reason. So what do we do? We offer more sacrifices. In fact, we're just, we're, God is never satisfied. And that's what we assume about our God. But our God doesn't respond the way other gods respond. The Bible says that God offered one sacrifice for all. And it wasn't even our sacrifice. Because our sacrifices did nothing except for help our conscience. Our little old conscience. It did not resolve or fix sin. The Bible says it never did it resolve or fix sin. It just fixed our little hearts. Bless your heart. 
It just fixed your little heart, your little conscience. It did not fix sin. The only thing that fixed sin was the, was the death of Jesus, the spotless lamb, the worthy lamb of God. So with that in mind, he makes you worthy, but you are not worthy in and of yourself. He makes you worthy because of his sacrifice. And this is what Naaman, Naaman is about to see this gospel thing play out in the Old Testament. And we're going to see this in a second. The Bible is constantly showing us the gospel message, even in the Old Covenant. It's telling us God is different than what we see around us. So, verses nine, 7 through 9, Naaman is trying to establish his willingness to pay. However, there's this girl. There's a comparison between this girl, the servant girl, and the king. So, here's what ends up happening. So, Naaman went, told his thus, so he spoke to the girl, land of Israel. The king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So, he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. He's going to the prophet right now. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. This is where the king freaks out. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with all of the stuff, with his horses and his chariots, and stood at the door of Elijah's house. Stop. Okay? So here Naaman comes with military power, riches. Here's the deal, though. The prophet did not come out to see this Ish Gadol. He did not come out to see this great man. He did not come out to see and meet this mighty conqueror. He did not look at his face and say, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Prophets were a little different, right? Not quite like the modern day pastor chasing everybody around. We're so glad to have you. You're still, oh, I'm sorry I didn't smile at you at King Supers the other day. I was so distracted. Please forgive me. Keep coming to my church. No, and the opposite, Elisha doesn't even see the guy. He doesn't even see him. He sends his messenger, and he gives him instruction. So first off, let me say a few things about Elisha. We're not talking about Elijah. We're talking about Elisha. Okay, Elisha was not your typical prophet, okay? Elisha, in the beginning of his life, was rarely honored. When you first see him, he's a farmer. He's not a son of the prophets. He was called to be a servant to the prophet, not his successor, okay? He was not called to be Elijah. I mean, God had, had intention, right? But he didn't know that. He just, he just said, I'm going to follow the prophet, I'm going to follow the prophet and wash his hands. That's my job. Take care of him. Watch out for him. Get him what he needs. Give him a drink. Whatever. Whatever I got to do to serve him. 
He was called to be a servant of the prophet, not a successor. He became his successor after God saw his consistent faithfulness. He wasn't taught by Elijah to prophesy. He, he wasn't going, Elijah's like, hey, let me show you how to do this. You know, he wasn't doing that with Elisha. He's just like, get this for me, get that for me. Follow me here, go with me there. He had to deal with Elijah's grumpy days, sad days, which could have been a lot, because Elijah was kind of a melancholy prophet. Aren't they all? Yes. <laughs> he was the guy that, that the prophet took out all of his frustration on and simply was, he was there to wash his hands. That's what he was there for. Only because he was faithful to the end was how he received the double portion of Elijah's spirit and anointing. And I'm going to say this. Don't think that just because you're not noticed that it means you're not noticed by God. Elisha was called a servant before he was ever called a prophet. Elisha was not a hireling, nor was he a server. Someone who expected tips in return, right? I'll serve you, just give me kudos. That's not a servant, that's a server. That's a serve. Give me tips. I will serve you, just make sure you tip your waitress. That's a server. But we're not servers, are we? We expect our reward to be there one day, right? This must be a this must be a prophetic sign. I don't know. All the all the all the prophets are like going, something's happening. Simultaneously, he wanted all that God had for him, which is the double double portion of Elijah's anointing. And I'll say this too, Jesus never rebuked any of his disciples for wanting more, did he? They wanted to sit at his right hand and his left hand, and he never said, how dare you want to sit at my right hand and left hand? He didn't say that. He said, well, if you want that, you're just going to have to drink the cup. If you want that, you're just going to, be ha you're going to have to be a servant of all. If you want that, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. See, the cross is the equalizer. See, if, if you're, you're walking through life with your pride, and all of a sudden there's a cross, there's a cross, and, and your, your fruitfulness is right here, right? But there's this cross in the way. The only way you get to your fruitfulness is to pick up that cross, right? So you pick up that cross, but guess what happens when you pick up that cross? You pick up that cross, and it filters out the impurity of your motives, your desires, your passions. It says no. There's just some places that T-bar won't go into. You can't carry that thing just anywhere. You can't hold on to that cross and see things you shouldn't see and do things you shouldn't do and act in ways you shouldn't act. It just, it just you have to lay that thing down to do that. So when you pick up the cross, it's the equalizer. And that's what happened to Elisha. In so many ways, he carried a cross. So if you're wondering how could this man of God be so harsh with this great, mighty conqueror, this is how. He knew one thing about God. God was a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God was not a rewarder of the seeker-friendly scared, cowardice, king, leader. 
He was a rewarder of those that said yes to him. And so Elijah threw this out to Naaman, and Naaman was ticked. Naaman came to the door with horses and chariot. Elijah sent the messenger, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand, call upon the name of the Lord or God, and wave his hand over the place of the, in, of the leprosy and cure the leper. So he had an expectation in his mind. I thought, I thought the prophet was a magician, that he would come out and he'd say, I'm a great prophet just like you are a great man. Here, let me wave over your sickness and heal it. But instead, he says, go do something, something humbling. Because here's why it was humbling. He says this. He says this. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away, went away in rage, but his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet, it, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? See, here's the servants coming out, right? The servants come out and they bring in humility. They bring in a perspective to a mighty man who anticipated a certain thing, and they bring out this perspective. And they say to him, why don't you just obey, kind of like what we do? Why don't you just trust, kind of like what we do, and see how it turns out? They say this to him. Now let's go into Naaman a little bit. I thought about a few ways in which over time I identified as Na Naaman. Um, tell me, maybe not tell me, just kind of think as I list these things out, maybe you're suffering from pride and self-justification. Um, maybe you have what Naaman had. Here's number one way you might have what Naaman had, where you think comparison is the way to success, and even worse, fruit. Where you think that by watching somebody do something and comparing yourself with that person, and meeting what they do, that that will produce in you the fruit that comes from God. Maybe you suffer from the Messiah complex. You can't take a day off. Well, the world has to keep turning, and I have to keep turning it. This is one that we, a lot of us suffer. We're, we're very, I personally struggle with this one. You can't take a day off. Here's the thing about it. I don't know if you know this about time, you know you can't save time? There's a few things you can't do with time. You can't save it. You know you can't buy time? Can't even buy it. You can't go back in time. So what can you do with time? Spend it. <laughs> That's good. He just knows what I'm going to say. You can spend time. That's all you can do with it. You can spend it. You can spend it on the right things. But I'm going to tell you this. There are times where God says, you're not allowed to do anything with this time except rest. You're not allowed to be productive. 
You're not allowed to fix other people's problems. You're not allowed to do anything. The only thing you're allowed to do is rest. And he made that commandment in the Old Testament. You know why he made that commandment? Because he wanted the Israelites to know that they are no longer slaves. Because when you say, I'm not taking a day off, what are you saying to yourself? You're saying, I'm a slave to somebody. God says, you are not slaves. Take a day off and don't do anything. Don't fix your car. Unless, of course, fixing your car is therapeutic. I don't know who does that, but some people do. Hey, hey, hey. Go for a walk. You can go for a walk. Unless when you're going for a walk, you're thinking about, I got to lose weight, I got to lose weight, I got to lose weight, I got to lose weight. That's not resting. Some people take rest and they make it into duty. They take rest and they make it into responsibility. I have to do this because of this. No. The point is, do nothing. Third one. You only pray if you want something to happen. Unless you're praying to get something done, you can't pray. You only worship because something's getting done when you worship, right? You're fighting a spiritual battle. That's why you worship. You're praying because you're getting something done in the spirit, right? That is where you start to get the mindset that God is not beautiful, but God is useful. Where you're starting to think, how can I get God to do what I want him to do? So you only pray, you only worship because you want something done. The Bible says that we're supposed to pray, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What does hallowed be your name mean? It means you're gorgeous. You're beautiful. You're holy. You're amazing. I'm in love with you. I want you and only you. This is what a relationship looks like with God. God opens up the deep recesses of our being, and he says yes to us as human beings, not human doings. You are my child. Four, you have something hidden underneath, but you still put on armor. You know this thing is killing you, it's an issue, but you have to keep fighting because you have to sustain your greatness. This is a complex in ministry and leadership today. This is why we find out that people have been struggling for 10 or 20 years with something, and the whole time they've been doing mighty things with God. Because God says, I wanna cure your leprosy, but we have to actually take the time to say, I'm gonna remove my armor, I'm going to seek for help. By the way, your pain is important to him. Some people think that, if, well, if, if I'm upset or crying, it's just, it's just the burden I have to bear. If I'm wounded, if I'm depressed, if I'm in pain, it's the wound I have to bear. Maybe not. Maybe the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. And that maybe we are not supposed to walk in those wounds. And, and endure it. Maybe, maybe he's saying, I want to heal you. You just got to take that armor off. Your wounds are important to him. 
Five, if you think that a 40-day fast is probably more effective than simple trust. Got to pray long, do something great, but simple obedience and trust is not in your, it's not in your vocabulary. Doing, being, fixing, changing, making it happen. Spiritual discipline. I used to, I used to have books like this on spiritual disciplines. I'd read one after the other, after the other, after the other on spiritual disciplines. And I would do the spiritual disciplines. And then I had a breakdown. And years later, I had recently in the last few, I had another breakdown. Why, why do we keep having these breakdowns? Because we're living like Naaman. We're living with armor over our wounds. If we think shortcuts are better than experience, we use the word life hacks. Life hacks. How to get something done quicker than the next guy. Why? Because we like microwaves. We love microwaves, especially pizza in microwaves. Why? Because they're both fast. They're both fast and they're good. Pizza and microwaves, fast and good, unhealthy, very, very, very unhealthy. Cauliflower crust? No, another life hack. <laughs> Not in the microwave, all right. We, use all the, we lose all the nutrition when we throw it in the microwave, right? How do I get from point A to point B and skip point A? That's what we want, right? You ain't skipping nothing. You will find yourself back at point A. Why? Because God is more concerned with process than he is with destination. He is. Why? Because process requires relationship. That's how marriages work. That's how families work. How many times have we heard it from parents? I wish I would have not taken it. I wish I would have taken advantage of my kids being little. But I was trying to get stuff done. I was trying to do this. I was trying it, and I was ignoring my family, and I missed it, and I don't want to miss this stage of life. We've heard that over and over, right? Why? Because we're missing so much of what God says, I want to connect here and now. Why is Jesus saying things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Today is sufficient enough. We spend our life thinking about a better tomorrow. I figured something out. You know that scripture that says, if you look upon a woman to lust, you've committed the sin in your heart, right? Now, I'm going to say this. I heard one time somebody say, well, if I committed the sin, I might as well have gone and done it. No, 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 no. No. Committing the sin in your heart is different than committing the sin in your heart and in the physical. Very, very different. One has severe consequences, the other one not so much. But nonetheless, you're still a sinner if you do the one, the first one, right? But here's the deal about that scripture. The word there for lust is a word that actually is intended to mean covetousness or greed. It's not the word for sexual desire. It's the word for like coveting somebody else's stuff. 
Because in that time, why does it say women? It says that if a man looks at a woman, right? It doesn't say if a woman looks at a man. It says if a man looks at a woman. Because in that time, women were considered in this culture property. Okay? So, what was it saying? Coveting, desiring, coveting, wanting. Now, there's this thing that we do. Now, if you look at somebody else and you say, I wish my husband was that guy. <laughs> Who just laughed? Is that my daughter? <laughs> I wish my wife was that woman. Now, you may not have thought any sexual thought, but you just committed the act of adultery in your heart. Now, here's the thing about that. Some people, they want the perfect family. They want the Instagram wedding. They want their children to be perfect, like the books say. Doesn't happen. <laughs> this is also the way of the evil one. Now, I'm going to say this. A lot of times, we throw around words like, we, we, we make our sin less than it is. Why? Because we want to sustain our good, righteous Christianity. The best thing for you to do is say what it is. It's sin. Just say it's sin. Because here's the deal. A lot of people, they go around. Everywhere you go, you go around, and there's, there's flesh everywhere. I don't care where it is. There's flesh in the church. There's comp comparison. There's corporatism. There's, I don't know. Just give me a list. There's a lot of things in the church that, and not in this church. Not in this church, though. We do not have the, and, and there's, but here's the deal. There are, two, there are two areas that cannot really truly operate correctly in the flesh. Now, you can actually operate um, you can actually operate a, a business off the flesh, right? You can, uh, there's a lot of businesses that basically live off the flesh. They operate off the flesh, okay? But there's two organizations you cannot operate in the flesh. The first one is the family. It requires the cross. It requires it. When you get married, you die. And that's not in a bad way. I'm not, it's, not, it's, it's not the ball and chain. It's the cross, Okay? And when you have kids, you die. And you die again. And again. You are no longer the picture. You are the frame. Bye-bye picture. I post selfies all the time, and I'm like, I'm still the picture. But I know I'm not. You become the frame. And it's the way it should be. I should get back to my notes. So, life hack. So, the next, if you have become a server rather than a servant, you'll work for kudos. This is where you know that you really you've hit it with Naaman. I'm, I'm leaving unless, and I've seen this in church so many times, I'm leaving unless you pay me more. 
Why? Because I deserve more. We all deserve more, don't we? No, we don't. What do we get? This is why giving should come naturally, because we're on our way to another place. We're just passing through. And I'm not saying kill yourself. I'm not saying don't say no. You need to learn your limitations. Say no. Absolutely say no. If you can't get there, if you can't do it, if you can't make it happen, say no. Say, I can't do it. I, I know my limitations. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to this premise that we live by where it has to do with if you can create a great, fantastic resume and you can come into with good resume and a good attitude and a good energy and you're good looking and all these different things. If you can do this, you can get a long way and it has nothing to do with integrity. It has nothing to do with God promoting you. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's simply because you have something to offer like Naaman had to offer. But there is a point where God says you, the, the buck stops here. And you either fall on the rock or the rock crushes you. This is how the kingdom works. It is topsy-turvy. It's flipped upside down. The king in this story, he wears a crown of thorns. The, the king in this story, he is a servant to all. And here's where Naaman comes to the place. He decides to listen to the servants. He goes in. He washes and dips seven times. And as a result, he is healed. But something greater happens in this moment than his healing. What happens greater in his healing is he goes back to the prophet with no anticipation that the prophet will even open the door. He offers him gifts. The prophet says no. And then what does he say? Can I please then have some of your dirt? Why? Because holy ground. Because sacred spaces. Because it's the land of the living God. And he's thinking in his mind, if I can take this dirt back home, lay it down in our hedonistic worship sets, then I will be setting it down, laying on it, worshiping the God of Israel. If I could just have some dirt, I'll, have, I'll be in the kingdom. And we need to be in that because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of times in our life where we want to change things that do not need to be changed. We want to go into a situation like him and say, I want to take charge. I want to change the situation. I want to make this happen. I'm going to change everybody around me. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to fix everything, including all the politics around me. Okay. And I'm, you guys, most of you know where I'm at politically, so you don't have an, I hope you don't have an issue with this. I hope you don't, but it still doesn't mean this, that we shouldn't pray for those who are right now governing. Whether or not we agree with them, they need our prayers. And I'm, I'm not going to call them, I'm not going to call any of them antichrists. You know why? Because that all of a sudden takes me out of responsibility to pray for them. And if I ever get the opportunity to share the gospel with them, I will love them to Jesus. At least that's what I hope will happen. 
That's my desire, right? And that has to be our heart. And this is what happened to Naaman. Naaman changed. He didn't just get healed on the outside. He got healed on the inside. He showed up. He desires. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. You all of a sudden, you do what happened with Peter. What happened with Peter when Peter was getting his feet washed by Jesus? Remember this story. Peter's getting his feet washed by Jesus, and he says to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. I'm not going to let this thing happen. You are my master, my teacher. And Jesus says this. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. If I don't serve you, then you don't know me. Some of us look at that scripture, depart from me, I never knew you. And we think that that's talking about perfection. Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, I should have done more for God. No, 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 no. Because the guys in the scripture says to Jesus, says, Lord, we prophesied and we cast out demons and we did all these works in your name. And he says, but I never knew you. But what's interesting is you go to the New Testament and it says that if you have faith in Christ, that now you know God or rather you are known by God. So he's telling the church, you're known by God. The whole church, he's telling the church, you're known by God. Why? Because you have put your trust in Jesus to be your foot washer. He's your, he serves you. I know we have a hard time with this, but God serves you. And he says, if I don't serve you, you have no part with me. And then he goes on to say, if I've done this to you, you go do it to others. If me being your master and your leader, if I've done this for you, now you have the same responsibility now. Freely have you received, freely give. Grace is cyclical. You get it, you get it from God, you give it out. You get it from God, you give it out. And some of us, because we don't know we've received it freely, we don't give it freely. Because we think we've earned it, we don't hand it out free. Because we think that, we did something to make it happen, we don't give it out to other people without charge. We don't forgive because we don't know we're forgiven. We need to know we're forgiven of the worst kinds of sins. We need to have a good understanding. Tim Keller says it this way, that you are far more sinful than you ever dared imagine. And you are far more loved than you ever dared dream or hope. You are, the, you, are, you are at the bottom, and he loved you at the bottom. And while yet you were sinners, Christ died for you. The worst place you could have been at, he said yes to you. The story ends with Gehazi going back to Naaman and saying, hey, we, Gehazi was the servant of Elijah, right? Elisha, excuse me. He goes back to Naaman and he says, hey, we did want some money after all. Of course, Naaman goes, sure, here you go, right? Gehazi was struck with leprosy. Now, I'm going to say a lot of people, oh, that's harsh, man. Struck with leprosy because he wanted to take an offering up? No. <laughs> no, this was not the time. The reason it was not the time is God was showing Naaman, I am not like your other gods. 
do not get in the way of God's message. Do not get in the way of his message of love. Do not, do not, I'm going to tell you, do not preach something that is in opposition to the grace of God. Do not do it. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. The end of the book says this. It's going to be harsh for those who added to this book. Somebody said to me, they, 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 we had a conversation, real, real legalistic group. We had a conversation, and they said to me, well, you know what? And they, they're very legalistic. They had a lot of additions to the Bible about manner in which you could dress and act and whatever that, that was extra biblical. And they told me, they says, well, listen, though. See, if I'm right, see, if I'm right, you're wrong. He says, but if you're right, I'm still right. This is his point. His point is, is if I'm right, if, I'm, if you're right, I, I'm even, I even do more than you do. And I even challenge people to go more than, than you go. But I, I say it this way. The Pharisees were considered by Jesus to be sons of Satan. I don't know why he called them sons of Satan, except for the fact that they were making proselytes who did more than they did. And he says, they're twice the son of the devil that you are. And he says, he says you add to the doctrines of God, the laws of men, in addition to what I said, you add in addition to it. Here's the deal. How many people have preachers who have had added additions to the scripture, how many times did they create stumbling blocks for people who would have received Jesus otherwise? I heard a saying years ago, some people confuse God and religion and walk away from them both. There's no way out of it. They say, that must be God. And if that's the God, I don't want to serve that God. That's why it says, put no evil thing, idle thing before me. Why? You put an idol before God, you can't see God anymore. You got that idol in front of God, you can't see God. It says, take away the idol. Take away the unclean thing and see God for who he is. Do not do what Gehazi did. By the way, don't name your kid Gehazi either. And don't, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say this. There's a lot of people out there that do not know the Bible. Don't name your kid Delilah. Okay, unless you're trying to redeem the names, and that's, I guess that's a little different. Don't name, you can name your kid Elisha. That's a good name. You can even name your kid Naaman, because he repented. Do not name your kid Gehazi. <laughs> All right, I'm going to close. All right, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in proper time he may exalt you. When we read the context of this scripture, it's talking about actually serving and loving one another in humility. The, the context of the scripture. The idea, we know this, that the mighty hand of God is mighty, but we also know this, we're weak. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're weak. We're weak. We're just weak. We are what we are, right? The Bible says God knows our frame. He knows that we're just dust. Okay, he knows our frame. We are weak, but his hand is mighty. So it says submit under his mighty hand. So if you can imagine yourself just getting under this covering, right? 
and it's his hand. You just don't go to the left. You don't go to the right. You don't say, you know what? I don't need you. This is, cum- and cum- this is, this is kind of cumbering. This is, this is holding me back. I don't need this. You say, I'm going to submit. And, and God says, in due season, when it's time, this mighty hand is going to take this little person, and he's going to break through every barrier and every wall. The Bible says God, God, what he does is he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now, a lot of people think that when it says he opposes the proud, that what that actually means, what that actually really means is that he, he takes, imagine you're on his football team, right? And he's like, I'm going to oppose the proud. And so he's the offensive lineman. He's the left tackle. You're the quarterback, right? And he says, I'm going to just remove myself, right? You're going to get hit. And that's how we think of like he, he opposes the proud. That's actually not what the scripture says. It says he opposes, which means he, he's your lineman and you get all proud. And you know what he does? He jumps on the other team. Why? Because he cares for you and he's going to tackle you. He's going to stop you. He'll discipline you. He'll give you a spanking. And in the words of my Spanish heritage, he'll give you a pow-pow. Because he loves you. The Bible says that he disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines us. And sometimes it feels harsh, but... He wants us to be on his team. He wants us to be under his mighty hand. He will resist the proud. He will give grace to the humble. Grace is unmerited favor. God fights for those who refuse to receive his will. God fights those who refuse to receive his will. And he fights for those who say yes to the cross. He resurrects those who allow him to bury them. And this is the final scripture. John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it'll remain a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Death is hard because when you're buried underneath, you don't know when you're going to come up. You're just sitting up there. And what's interesting is what we call death, God, God shows it's just germination. God shows it's just a pathway. God shows it's just a way in which he's going to bring some new stuff into your life. And we see it as the ending, but he doesn't see it as the ending. He sees it as the beginning of something beautiful. And he takes our brokenness, and he takes our death, and he takes our wounds. And if we say yes to him, he can turn those into love and joy and peace and fulfillment. And we can live carrying a cross with smiles on our face, bruises on our bodies, dancing with joy in the streets. And it's not masochism. It's true joy. I have found my master's love. And I'm not letting go. And just like Peter, we say this, we say to him, we say, where else shall we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Amen. I'm going to say prayer and then um, I'm going to invite Vernon to come up. Holy Spirit, um, 
I just pray, God, that what we've lost in this season, you're going to send us into a special relationship and a special fruitfulness and something that we've never seen before in our life. And you said that you would wipe every tear away. Every tear, you yourself would wipe away. You would reach out and you would put your hand on our face and you, the King of glory, would wipe away every tear. I pray right now, Lord God, you would begin the process of transitioning for up from us into this season, into a season where we say yes to the, to the life that walks through death. We say yes to the life that walks through death because we enjoy you.